Well, good morning. Great to have you with us. And uh, the height just got a little taller in the South Auditorium because we have the Liberty Volleyball team, the girls' volleyball team, with us this morning. So welcome, girls. I hope you win today. And uh, so we are in Ephesians 5. What a great time, by the way, of worship. Uh, Appreciate Matt and our band so much, and they're leading us and reminding us of the goodness and the greatness of our God, who has given to us everything that we could hope for in Christ. We have, in Ephesians 1 through 3, repeated this statement over and over again because it reminds us that we do not do what we do as followers of Jesus in order to make ourselves right with God. We do what we do as followers of Christ because of what he has done for us. It is the overflow of a life of gratitude to him. So I want us to say, if you have trusted in Jesus, I want us to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. Because this is Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 that we're going to always review before we jump into a new command in Ephesians chapter 5. So say it out loud with me if you are in Christ. In Christ, I am alive from the dead, blessed abundantly, loved perfectly, strengthened supernaturally, and made a minister of God. So everyone who is in Christ is a minister, and they have all that they need for life and godliness because the Holy Spirit lives within When we say strengthened supernaturally, we are saying we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live supernatural lives. Not just ordinary lives, but extraordinary lives to the glory of God. So this is who we are in Christ. And now out of that, we're to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In a manner worthy of the Lord, pick it up now in Chapter 5, verse 18, here is what's worthy of those who are alive, blessed, loved, strengthened, and ministers. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So just one verse this morning from Ephesians 5 with two very clear instructions. Those who are in Christ, children of God, it says, don't get drunk. Don't be a person who is controlled by consuming too much alcohol. It's not a hard thing to understand. Don't be drunk. What you might not capture is, where in the world did that come from? Why does he all of a sudden say, don't get drunk with wine? Did it just like come into his mind? No. Uh, He says... Don't get drunk with wine because of what he had just just said in verses 15, 16, and 17 that we looked at last week. So if you weren't here last week, here's what we studied last week. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Now, as I read this, think about how this would relate to this next command. Don't be drunk with wine. And I think you'll see, oh, wow, this makes a lot of sense now. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men but is wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Can you see how then it would say, and don't be drunk with wine? Why? (laughs) Because real quick, the drunk act foolishly. 
We've all seen it. Regrettably, some of us have been that guy or that girl. Drunks act foolishly, right? And there's then regret and, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You can't avoid foolishness if you get drunk. That's why he's saying it. He, said, he just said, don't be a fool, so don't get drunk. Because when you're drunk, you do stupid stuff. And the drunk are not careful. They try to be, but they're not. I can tell, just in going through this, there's like a little oxygen went out of the room. Like, wow, this is like really heavy right away. (laughs) Don't get drunk. Because, because God is robbing you of something really good. Now, what did we say? We said the word of God builds walls in our lives. Not to rob us, but to protect us. And, And... Drunk people can't be careful. They've lost the capacity of control to be careful. And so they can't be careful with themselves and they can't be careful with others. Drunk people therefore do foolish things and often hurt themselves and hurt other people's other people either physically, <clears throat> most certainly emotionally, and destroy lots of relationships. When God says don't be drunk with wine, is he saying something to rob you or protect you? protect you, protect you. See, this whole idea of our culture is, I can't wait till you can grow up and drink. And drinking to excess leads to foolishness. So don't be drunk with wine. Now, I want to be clear. If you've been at the chapel for any amount of time, you know that our understanding of the scripture is not that it's wrong for a believer to ever drink. But the scripture is exceedingly clear. Don't be drunk. And it has a rationale because it leads to foolishness and you can't be careful. And, and, and maybe what's most compelling about this is the scripture, if you weren't here again, was to say, walk in wisdom. Don't be unwise. Don't be a fool. Walk in wisdom in order that you can make the most of your time. And making the most of our time is recognizing that God has saved us, redeemed us, poured his spirit into us, empowered us to live new lives so that we can be the presence of God on earth, that we can bring heaven to earth. And when we're drunk, And acting foolish and not careful, are we bringing heaven to earth? No, we cannot make the most of our time. In fact, when we're drunk, we are wasting the opportunity, not making the most of it. Because making the most of it is every day for you and I, whether we go to work, go to school, go home, interact with our neighbors, go to the gym, that we are bringing heaven earth in that moment because we are the presence of Christ. He lives within us. And when we're drunk, we're not bringing heaven to earth. In some sense, we're bringing a little hell to earth. The destruction, uh, the absence of control. 
So what I find is this. That most would agree most of the time. But then there is the, what we would call rationalizing. You know what rationalizing is? Telling yourself rational lies. The things that go, I know this isn't right, but I can kind of work it to rights in this moment. And when it comes to drunkenness, here are the rational lies that I hear believers telling themselves. It's wrong to be drunk unless, unless I'm of legal age. See, that's the, that's the college student, the young college student, the high school student is gone. Well, now I knew I wasn't supposed to be getting drunk in high school, but now I'm at age, so it's okay. No, it's not an age thing. It's a biblical thing. Or of this, I'm not driving. This is more and more a rationalization. Because, and I appreciate our culture's commitment, don't drink and drive, because those who drink and drive destroy people's lives. And so, I think, unattendedly, there's this result that says, well, as long as I'm not driving, if I get an Uber, or a designated driver, or, and this happens within the church, If I'm just drinking at home, and I get a buzz, and I didn't really remember last night, but I was at home, so no problem. It's kind of rooted in this principle. Drunkenness, it's wrong as long as I'm not hurting anyone. That's very much the value of the day, but that's not the biblical value. Or... I know I don't, I don't get drunk. I know it's wrong, but it was, you know, it was a bachelor party. It was college graduation. It was our anniversary. You see what I'm saying? Anybody tell themselves rational lies? Yeah. Now, now I know at this moment you're going, yeah, I'm not, I'm not moving my head or anything at this moment. Because <laughs> he's watching. <laughs> now, this is here. Here, listen, this is the Lord bringing wisdom and life to your life. And so whether it's alcohol that's a controlling substance in your life, or it's pills, even prescription, or it's some other drug, the issue here is when I yield control of my life to some sort of substance, whether it's liquid or powder or some other form, I can't be walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. The, the, the struggle is this. Once, once a substance becomes a ruling factor in your life, it becomes a ruining factor. Nobody gets to allow alcohol or drugs to rule them without ruining them. It's what the Proverbs says. We're fools when we think we can take fire in our laps and not get burned. 
So what's real in the church, and I want to address it, what's real in the church is people live secret lives that we wouldn't know because it's hidden and it's covered. But this is, this is in the scriptures because it's ruining and ruling people's lives. And the scripture is for you. And if you think, well, you know if that's true in your life. And you think, I can't, I can't get out. I've tried. That is the power of addiction. Of addiction. I've tried to stop. And it's only come back with greater vengeance. Then I want to give you hope this morning. Not a theoretical, a real life hope. So Emily, come on up if you would. And I want gal in our body to come share her story that I hope will give you hope if alcohol is ruling or some substance is ruling and ruining your life. Good morning, everyone. My name is Emily England, and I'm excited to be here with you this morning and share a little bit about what the Lord has done in my life and how he has made me new in him. My husband and I have four children, and we have been at CFC for a little bit over a year now and have really been blessed by it. We love it here. We are not new to church, though. In fact, my dad is a pastor, so I have grown up in church my entire life. I was raised in a very loving, sweet Christian home, one where alcohol was never present. Neither of my parents ever drank, and given my somewhat rebellious nature, it made me quite curious about it from a young age. The first time I ever drank alcohol, I was in high school, and I immediately loved the effect that it produced. I was eager to go away to college where I would have more freedom to drink the way that I wanted to. I met my husband while there, and he and I definitely drank together, but it wasn't really a problem then. I mean, when I look back, I think it probably was. It wasn't so much for him, but um, I, was, I was rationalizing it, like Doug said. I was still highly functioning, and it was not interfering with my life at that point. A few years later, we were married, and as he pursued his career in business, I continued to drink on a regular basis. Life continued like this for many years. Even after having children, I could stop for a period of time, but then I would always pick up right where I left off. I would purposely try and take breaks to convince myself I didn't have a problem, but when I didn't drink, I couldn't sleep. So I was prescribed sleeping and anxiety medication, which little did I know at the time would lead me to an entirely new addiction with pills. Took me down a very, very dark path. This went on for several more years. If it wasn't one, it was the other. I was just substituting. And I really, I would say alcohol was my first choice, but it was easier to hide it with pills. I knew in my heart that I had a problem, but I did not know the way out. My marriage was hanging on by a thread. My parents were devastated, and I knew I was not being the mother that my children needed me to be. From the outside, most people didn't have a clue as to what was going on. But on the inside, I was dead and suffering and full of guilt and shame. I asked the Lord into my heart at the young age of four, so I never questioned God or his existence, but I was never really surrendered to him. In 2017, 
I hit a bottom. And my bottom was not losing everything, although I was very close to that. My bottom for me was not being able to look at myself in the mirror or even want to get out of bed in the morning. On the day of my 34th birthday, not planned, I entered inpatient treatment here in Jacksonville. My parents took me there and I stayed for 30 days. It was a vital step in my recovery. And when it was time for me to leave, I felt ready to take on the world and be super mom. But I did not do what was strongly encouraged of me in terms of aftercare, which is a lot. And um, I didn't do it and within one week, I had a terrible relapse and I almost lost my life. It was in that moment that I became willing to do whatever it would take to stay sober. I knew I had to pour my life into my recovery and that's what I did. For the first time in my entire life, I surrendered completely and gave my life over to the Lord. Even though I was a Christian for most of my life, it wasn't until age 34 that my new life in Christ began. I am not the same person that I was. The Lord has transformed my heart and my life. He has restored my marriage, blessed me with a fourth child, and I am now the mom that my children deserve. On October 11th of this year, I celebrated four years of sobriety. Thank you. Four years of true freedom, not only from substances, but freedom to worship the Lord the way in which he created me to. It is only by his grace and mercy that I have been made new in him. I praise God every single day for my new life. To him be all the glory. I think you appreciate the courage for Emily to share. What I hope you hear most of all is this. Nobody would have known from the outside. So that's how I know it's in the room. And I know it's happening for folks watching online. Because we just don't know from the outside. People know on the inside. But it's because it's hidden on the inside and unknown. Yet it stays there, powerful and ruining. But what I hope you heard most clearly was this, friends. We don't clean ourselves up so that we can come to God. We go, God, I am desperate. I cannot resolve this myself. See, the lie of, the lie of religion is make yourself right before God. And the hope of relationship with God is admitting, I can't. I can only fake it, but I can't. And God, I desperately need you to do something in me that I can't do myself. That is the power of the gospel. And the gospel powerfully, radically changes people from the inside out. To set them free, as Emily said, to be able to live as God intended them to live. To move from bringing hell to earth and hell to the home and hell to the marriage and hell to the kids to bringing Christ and heaven and joy and wisdom and peace and love and kindness and patience to the family, to the marriage, to the kids, to the life, to the community. 
So I'm just inviting you to do what you're afraid to do, and that is to cry out to God to make yourself known that you need help. Emily has graciously said, I would talk with, be a part of helping anybody who'd be willing to reach out. Obviously, we would, but I recognize there's a part of uh, the pastor, Emily, she seems a lot safer. (laughs) Seriously. I promise I would be safe, but I understand she might seem safer. So, we have the Hope Center where we really want to help. You do not need to live at a place where alcohol rules and therefore ruins the life that God is giving you. So I hope you'll act and that the Lord will bring deliverance and freedom as he has for Emily. So there's two very clear instructions. If you're alive from the dead and blessed and loved and strengthened and administered, Don't be drunk with wine. Don't allow alcohol or other controlling substances to rule your life. Instead, be what? Be filled with the Spirit. See, again, that's not random. This is the Word of God contrasting. Don't allow some liquid or some powder or some substance to control your life. Instead, be filled with with the spirit. A child of God is not to be drunk with wine, but a child of God is to be filled with the spirit. Now, what's that mean? Well, the spirit that Ephesians 5.18 represents or speaks about is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, we have to start with this. The Holy Spirit is a person, the, the third person of the triune God. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not simply a power. The Holy Spirit is a person. And therefore, that the Holy Spirit as a person helps us understand that either we have the Spirit or you don't have the Spirit. You, you don't have some of the Spirit. You understand what I'm saying? When we think of the Holy Spirit as a power or simply a force, we can think, well, some people have more power than others. No, the power that we have to live out the life of Christ is the person of the Holy Spirit. So within you as a child of God is the person of the Holy Spirit. Not part of him, but all of him. You have, if you're born again, the person of the Holy Spirit in you. And that occurs, the scripture teaches us, at the moment of salvation. This is a passage you might want to write down if you're taking notes. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Galatians 4, 4 through 6 tells us about the place of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. It gives us the gospel. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. 
So the power of the gospel is that God sent his son, Jesus, to be our sin bearer, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we who would believe in him would move from guilty to forgiven, that we would move from darkness to light, and that we would move from sons, and this is hard for people to hear, but it's true, sons of Satan to sons of God adopted into a new family with a new father. That's the power of Jesus' work on the cross. He bought us and adopted us and, watch, because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. You see, it's because of what Christ did on the cross that we can become children of God. It's the Spirit of God, the third person of the triune God in us that is given to us at the moment of salvation. Some of him or all of him? Yeah, all of him. He's a person. How do you get some of somebody? This is when, and the New Testament talks about three different words about the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. That when a believer is born again, they are baptized in the Spirit. And baptism is simply an outward action that we do that identifies us with Christ. When the scripture speaks that you and I are baptized as believers in the Spirit, it's referring to that by the Spirit, we are identified as one with Christ. And we're indwelt by the Spirit. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit is poured into us, the fullness of the Spirit, so that we have His divine power. So the baptism of the Spirit is our oneness with Christ. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the divine enablement, the divine empowerment to be able to live a new life. And then there is a sealing of the Spirit that we looked at in Ephesians 1, you may remember. Ephesians chapter 1, we are sealed with the Spirit. What's that about? That's about the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance in the saints. It's how we know that God will fulfill his promise to us of his righteousness and eternal life because he gave us himself. He is our seal, the person of the Holy Spirit. But here is key. There's a baptism of the Spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit and the sealing of the Spirit that happens when? At the moment of salvation. And those three are different than the filling of the Spirit. Here's why. This will sound funny to you. Uh, To be filled with the Spirit is a present passive imperative. Now you may go, Doug, you never talk like that. And I don't usually. That is in reference to the Greek word here is a present passive imperative. I don't normally refer to these things because usually you'd be like, that doesn't help me. In this case, understanding the tense of this word helps us capture why the filling is different than the baptism, the indwelling, and the sealing. A present imperative 
A present passive imperative means this. That it's an imperative means it is a command. Be filled with the Spirit. The sealing of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, and the indwelling of the Spirit is not a command. That's a, that's a promise. You see? That's why this is different. Those are promised to us that we would be, at the moment we're saved, baptized, indwelt, and sealed. This is a command. Be filled with the Spirit. And it's passive. It's done for you. And if you go, well, how can I, there be a command that's done for me? I'll show you in a moment. But it's done for you. That's what passive means, done for you. Present tense means this, that it's continual. It's not one time. How many times are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? Once. Sealed. Once. And dwelt. Once, because we don't get some of him, and then a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. We are filled. What? Continually. B. Here, you might want to write this down. It would be better understood to say, "Be being filled." Yeah, that. Uh, We don't talk that way. I agree. It would just help us understand it better. The command here is be being filled. Now, when we started Don't Be Drunk With Wine and you saw some of this up here, you might have thought, oh, he's got a wine illustration for us. No, this is a Holy Spirit illustration for us. See over there. All right. So we come to Christ. Holy Spirit poured into us. Is that filled with the Spirit? No, of course not. You're like, uh, any, any dummy could go, that's not filled with the Spirit. That's like half full, and you can't have only some of them. So, whoo, concave, no, convex, filled with the Spirit. No. What's this? Indwelt by the Spirit. Baptized by it. We have all of him. Happened when? The moment of salvation. What's the command? Be being filled. What's filled with the Spirit look like? Be being filled, 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 be being filled. What's a spirit-filled life? A life where the Spirit of God is, what did you just see? Overflowing. Overflowing. And I didn't come up with this picture. Jesus came up with this picture. You see, now, some of you are going, this isn't this is a very good illustration, Doug, because why? Because God's going to run out. <laughs> I agree. This is, not a very good, this is not a very good representation of God. And so I asked for a hose. <laughs> and maintenance said, no. 
They were not interested in a hose up here, but I was like, how awesome. We could get like a full powered hose in here and a big trash can. Of this, wouldn't that be better? Because who really thinks of God like dribbling on me? When we think of the power of God, we think, but they said no. So you can imagine that, but the point is overflow. And again, I didn't come up with that. Jesus did. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will. No, you got to say it. Flow rivers of living water. See, I, all I can show you is this little overflow here. But Jesus said, no, no, I want you to see that a life in me is a life where I am pouring into you and pouring out of you. The key word is flow. Overflowing. That's a spirit-filled life. It's something, see, it's something done for you, and it is continual. But how in the world? Oh, I almost forgot. When Jesus said this, what was he talking about? Well, we don't have to guess. This he spoke of the spirit. See, he tells us, when those who believed in him were to receive, it's not happening yet. He tells them, it's not happening now because I'm still here. But when I ascend, I'm going to send the spirit, and he is going to be like a river overflowing out of you. Not just filled up. See, because maybe you think the Christian life is, I get the spirit, and then I dwindle down, and I fill it back up. and I, uh, uh. No. It's overflowing. So it's a passive and a present. But how is it an imperative? What is my role in this? Watch. What's my role? We'll try again. Spirit-filled life. What's happening? Overflowing. What's my role? Stay under. It's certainly to stay under. Stay under what? Ever seen this before? <laughs> Volleyball team, this is simply living under the word of God. Lots of people like to live here. Let me see what God says, and then I'll consider what I want to do. This is living under the word of God. As long as I live under here, what will happen? Overflow. And as soon as I choose to go, no, I don't want to love, or I can't be patient, or I've forgiven enough. As soon as I move out from under the word of God to what seems right to me, what stops? Flow, overflow, stops, 
What's the command? Stay under. This is why the scripture says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is intended to be overflowing in our lives. So that we're not only not thirsty, but those around us are not thirsty because they are experiencing living water overflow from us. Our spouses experiencing the presence of Christ because it's overflowing from us. Our kids experiencing the presence of Christ because it's overflowing from us. You see? People at work experiencing the presence of Christ. People on campus experiencing the presence of Christ. Why? Because the life of the Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, is not just filled. It's overflowing. Be being filled. Don't grieve that. Don't move out from under the word. Stay there. Love, as he says, and it'll overflow. Forgive, it'll overflow. Give thanks in everything, for everything. What was the other line in the song? With everything. Thank you. It's actually right in the Bible, not just the song. And what will happen? The life of God will overflow in our lives. The life of the Spirit. A Spirit-filled life is first, it's a command, a life fully and continually submitted to His Word. Now, don't just write stuff down. Understand what I'm saying. As a child of God, the Spirit of God is intended to overflow in my life like living waters, right? I cannot have overflow when I'm not submitted to his word. As soon as, so put it together, as soon as alcohol becomes a controlling influence, whether it's for a night or for a year in my life, There's no overflow. People aren't experiencing God anymore. Now, what's powerful is the sealing work is this, is when I go out from under, do I still have the indwelling spirit in me? Yes. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He never left or forsake Emily. But there was no overflow because she was not under. And you, we can all see that. It's not just in drunkenness. It's when our temper, when we explode in rage, or when we lust, or when we're greedy. Anytime we step out from under the word of God, The spirit is not taken from us, but the overflow stops. So it is spirit-filled life begins, submitted to his word so that all that he is, and I love this, what's he call you to be? Holy. Who is he? Holy. What's he call you to be? Kind. Who is he? Kind. You see it? What's he call you to do? Love. Who is he? Love. 
if I'll stay under the word, he will be all I need because he is. He is all I need. It's not like he's given me stuff. He's given me himself, and he is what he calls me to be. That's why it's referring to the Holy Spirit overflowing, the God himself overflowing in my life. I never need to hear a command of God and go, ah, I can't, I can do that. I can't do that, but Christ in me can because he is. He's in me. And if I'll stay under and love and forgive and be kind and be patient, you know, all that stuff that you go, ah, so hard. It's who he is in us. So when I am fully and continually submitted to his word so that all he is in me, fully and continually, and there's our key word, flows through me. Here's why I am so glad that you're a part of this morning. Here's why. Because I knew for quite a while that the death of Jesus for me is how I can go to heaven. And I think many of you have heard that many, many times in your life. I'm not suggesting that everyone listening right now has believed and received the free gift of God. If you haven't, then the promise of God is that if you will believe in Jesus, your sin will be forgiven. And you who were under the condemnation of God would no longer be under condemnation. You would become a child of God. And you would be promised eternal life with him in heaven. I invite you to trust in him. That's good news. But for many of us, myself included, our understanding of the gospel kind of stopped there. Jesus died for me. I'm going to heaven. And did not understand it is the life of the Spirit in me as how I'm going to bring heaven to earth. And when I say earth, I mean, understand what I'm saying. It's how I bring, it's how I bring heaven home. It's not you and I doing our best imitation of Jesus. Did you hear that? The Christian life is not you and I doing our best imitation of Jesus. The Christian life is intended to be a life where the life of Jesus, through the person of the Holy Spirit, is being poured into my life so that he would overflow in every area, every relationship, every decision. That that would be the life of God in me, overflowing through me. And radically changing our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our world. 
So I simply am asking that in the same way, listen, that in the same way that I ask the Spirit of God would open your eyes and your heart to understanding the death of Jesus for you, that he would as well open your eyes and your understanding to the life of the Spirit in you, that you would live a Spirit-filled life. Because you know what the rest of this section of Ephesians is about? The practices of a spirit-filled believer, a spirit-filled wife, a spirit-filled husband, a spirit-filled child. And most of you are kids. In other words, you have a mom and dad. So if you think that's a children's sermon, in other words, it's not. (laughs) And a spirit-filled dad. And then a spirit-filled employee and a spirit-filled employer. In other words, it's going to say, here's how you live so that the life of God would overflow at home, in your marriage, on your kids, at work, and even when you're at church. Do you understand Now, I think maybe you would say you understand. Here's my question. Would you in your heart of hearts this morning go, I I know what it is to live this life. And if you go, "Mm, it's the life I want to live, but I'm not sure I understand how to live a spirit-filled life then I want to invite you to ask the Lord to be your teacher, your leader. Because can you imagine, really, could you imagine a home where God is overflowing and a workplace where you are overflowing with God? Would that be not a phenomenal, dramatic, a campus where you are overflowing with God? That's what God intends. Saved for heaven, left on earth to bring heaven to earth. So bow with me. And I want to invite you to do what we just said. Just in the quietness there of your seat, would you ask God to open your eyes more fully not just to understand, but to experience and to live as a spirit-filled person. That you might know that the Jesus who called you is all and more than all you'll ever need. That he is all that is impossible for you. Holy, righteous, pure, controlled, forgiving, kind, loving, patient. Lord, thank you for giving us your spirit that we might walk in a spirit overflowing life. You stand and let's rejoice together in his provision. You are all.
Well, friends, thank you for being here. Can you imagine, like Doug said, that our homes, our, our schools, our workplace overflowing with the fullness of Christ in us. And the, the best part is that he does the work we submit under him. So let's go and be empowered, be emboldened that he can do that work through you. Let's submit ourselves to him in the next few moments and hours and the days to come. Thanks for being here. God bless.